And by now, I'll assume that you've gotten started on your That's Okay workup. But I will not assume that you've completed it because like all the workups in this series, it's a work in progress. The key is to get the ball rolling and then keep adding to the list as you live life and pay attention to it. See, the idea is that we want to become more conscious, noticing things. And so here also, if you notice something that belongs in the That's Okay workup, so then you'll just put it down. But as long as you've started, as long as you've sampled some degree of differentiating and accepting, then we're ready to move on to our next competency. And today's competency is about being self-aware. And there's a very clear segue between what we discussed in the previous class and self-awareness. So let's review this. We've established that marriage is an encounter between two worlds and that each person needs to make room for the other. And when we talk about the ability of making room for the other, you have to realize that it actually imposes a twofold responsibility on each person in the relationship. Now, the first one is the more obvious one. We have to make room. We have to tolerate, try to understand, and even get to the point of embracing the other with all the ways that they're different. And we'll get to more of how to do that in a later class. But the second responsibility is that we be mindful of the way that we take the space that the other gives us. We have to use the space that we're given properly, respect it, and not make it so difficult for the other person to accommodate us. Like, for instance, we might have our own thoughts and feelings and the ways that we do things, which is okay. But are they random? Are they erratic? Are they understandable? In other words, are we making it really hard or maybe even impossible to be tolerated? Do we even know how we come across to others and what demands we make on the people in our lives? And could we really blame our spouse for trying to take away the space they gave us? Or are we going to instead work on being more relatable? Are we going to try to make it easier to be given that space? And so it comes out that there's actually a dual discovery that differentiation demands. When these realities clash, we're signaled to discover the other and at the same time discover ourselves. It's amazing. That's what the power struggle does. And so therefore we say, let the friction of power struggle, the clash of these two realities, trigger this journey of dual discovery. And in the process, you're not only going to get to know a deeper side of the other person and love them even more, but you'll also discover the drives and the motivations in you that you never knew existed. And the truth of the matter is that it would be wise, and we say this to dating singles, that they come into marriage with a decent understanding of themselves, some meaningful degree of self-awareness. And they don't have to know everything because until you're in a committed relationship, certain things just won't come out as clearly as they do in the power struggle. But still, it's helpful to come up with a decent amount of self-awareness that when things do come up, you know where you're coming from, you have an idea as to why you're reacting the way that you're reacting, you won't be a mystery to yourself, and you won't get too lost when power struggle happens. And so therefore we say, it's within the tension of power struggle that lie the seeds of understanding of both the other and of ourselves. When people say, I don't know, I don't understand, but my spouse brings out the worst in me. I'm sure you've heard that before. When I was single, I got along with everybody. With my friends, I don't have this tension. And the answer is obvious. Because there's something about being in a committed relationship when we have to deal with the person that we're clashing against, and especially when it's someone that means so much to us that causes all of our stuff to emerge. Even in the secular world, when people live together for years before they get married, we'll have their issues, but they will only face the full force of their stuff after commitment. It's interesting, I was once speaking with a group of single girls and growing girls, they were interested to know what they needed to do to be best prepared for marriage. So one of them asked me, when I'm in marriage, how am I going to know what I need to do to grow? And so I reassured her, don't worry, your husband will let you know. 
Now, he may not let you know in the nicest of ways. He may not let you know in the best communicative style. But uh, the tension and the conflict between your realities will let you know what it is that you have to do in order to meet the challenge of the relationship. All of this leads us into today's competency, self-awareness. And the workup for it is an intervention that I've called the 139 workup. It's actually a low-tech CAT scan, and I'll explain to you why that is in the next class. But here's what it looks like. Somebody comes into my office, could be an individual, could be a couple. And when I want them to be able to take a look into themselves, of course, I don't have an x-ray to do that, and I have to do it, as I say, with low-tech means. I'll pull out the 139 workup, and I say, it's going to be this page that will help us understand what you need to do, what you need to address in order to approach relationships in a healthy way. You have a circle at the top, and out of that circle branch out three other circles. So, so far you have one and three. And from each of those three circles come out three other circles. And you have the flowchart, a one, three, nine flowchart. Now what goes at the top circle will leave to the next class. But in terms of the middle row, the three circles, it's in those that we place our behavioral tendencies. Now behavioral tendencies are, number one, things that we tend to do. So we find ourselves doing this pretty often. Behavioral means that they are things that are describing behaviors. This is what I actually do. And we're referring to negative behavioral tendencies or tendencies that are not helpful. They get in the way of progress. They don't get us to a good place. So examples of tendencies, classic tendencies, could be a tendency to procrastinate, a tendency to interrupt. That's a behavioral tendency. A tendency to doubt myself. I question myself. I tend to go into a shell. And so whatever tendencies you know about yourself, and at the very beginning, we can just say, just brainstorm, think, reflect. There's got to be at least two or three that come to mind. In each one of those circles in the middle row, write a different tendency. And that's it. First level of self-awareness of what are my unhelpful tendencies. Now, in terms of the third row, the three circles that come out of each one of the tendencies are the times when that shows up. It's the triggers. Begins with the word when. So if the first tendency is to procrastinate, then one example of a time I procrastinate would be like when I'm paying my bills. I push them off. It points to the times in our lives when those tendencies show up. And we get three of those. So for each tendency in the row two, come three examples of when that tendency happens. And that's it. Step number one in self-awareness. Now, some of you may be thinking, do tendencies always come in threes? And do examples always come in threes? And the answer is, of course, no. I designed the 139 that way because it's symmetric. If I place it on a board or put it on paper, looks nice, 139. But obviously, there could be more than three tendencies. And there could be less, too. I may just have one big, difficult tendency, or I may have 10 or 15 tendencies that are not helpful. So the number three is flexible. But I say when you start the work, come up with at least three. And the same thing is with the examples. Of course, there could be 100 examples of where my tendency shows up. But again, as a starting point, we say, can you give at least three examples of times when that tendency shows up? And that becomes our first assignment. I also want to say that while people will often try to make the argument that they only get dysfunctional within their marriage. And that's, of course, why they would like to blame it on the spouse. But we say, hold on a second. Don't be so myopic. When you approach this assignment, don't limit yourself to the marriage. Just think about all of your interactions within your marriage, with your parents, with your siblings, with your friends, at work, and anywhere else that you spend your life. Think of what shows up in various places, in various scenarios. Eventually, we're going to focus on the ones that show up primarily in your marriage. But for now, we're going to be much broader. And I would even say, if you're going to only give three examples for your opening shot at this workup, try to have at least one or two examples of the three that are not within your marriage. So if you have a tendency to doubt yourself, you might give one example or two examples that take place within your marriage, but give at least one 
that happens outside of the marriage. And once you do that, we'll be left with the top circle. Now, although we said that the second and third rows of this workup are not limited to three and nine, you could have four tendencies and you could have seven examples of each one, the top row is often limited to one item. And as you can tell from the structure of this 139 chart, that which fills the upper circle is going to be ultimately what drives those tendencies. So it's going to be a great discovery when we get there. And we'll do that in the next class. But for the meanwhile, focus on coming up with at least three tendencies and at least three examples of those tendencies. And then we'll continue with the rest of the workup.